Hey, Mighty One, we are going to be taking a break from our usual series from now until September, but don't worry, we're not going to leave you hanging. In the meantime, we're going to be resharing with you some of our favorite birth stories that you probably haven't heard yet. To start us off, today we're going to be resharing our episode with the amazing, amazing Danny Isay. And that seemed both serendipitous and appropriate since this episode is being released on July 26, which is also National Disability Independence Day in the U.S. and is the day we commemorate the signing of the Americans with Disability Act. Danny is a huge disability advocate and a wheelchair-using mother to twin toddlers. If you want to know even more about her journey, you can also check out the award-winning documentary she co-produced and starred in called Danny's Twins, which helps amplify issues faced by disabled pregnant people. Enjoy the episode. Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. 
Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Welcome to BIRTHFUL. I'm Adriana Lozada. I live with chronic pain. So it was nice for me to escape that pain for once in my life, to experience this birth pain-free. That's Danny Isay reflecting on how much she valued having spinal anesthesia for her cesarean. Danny is a disability advocate and the protagonist and producer of the upcoming documentary film, Danny's Twins, which showcases her experiences during pregnancy and motherhood as a quadriplegic during the pandemic. Now, I know that pain tends to be a concern for most people facing birth, and this was also the case for Danny, but almost in reverse. Because Danny lives with chronic pain, she tends to ignore a lot of it. So she was worried that through her pregnancy, she may ignore pain that could be of concern or that she may miss her body's cues of when to go to the hospital and get there later than desired. Did she know when it was time to go? Let's just say that there may have been some distractions requiring speedy driving. Let's get to it. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Danny. It's really a delight to have you here to hear your story. And why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and how you identify? Sure. My name is Danny Isay. I am in my mid-30s. I happen to be a quadriplegic. I use a wheelchair full-time. I identify as a woman. I use pronouns she, her. And yeah, I work in the disability mobility industry and I'm a disability advocate as well. Mm -hmm. And a mom of twins. Maybe, yes, most importantly, (laughs) of course, a new mom to twins, 18-month-old twins. And so take us back to before you got pregnant. Like, What was your approach to birth, to having kids, where was where were you coming from before being a parent? Well, it's interesting because I became a quadriplegic due to a traumatic injury about 12 years ago. So before that injury, I had always wanted children. And after my injury, things were a little different because my entire life changed. It was turned upside down initially. And 
I didn't know what I was capable of living with all of these new physical limitations forced me to sort of reconfigure my identity and figure out what was and wasn't possible. So I think, you know, after my disability, I wasn't getting very much reinforcement about, you know, becoming a mother. I wasn't getting the questions, well, do you want to be a mother someday? Because I think people maybe assumed that that wasn't in the cards for me. And I, I didn't see it on TV, in pop culture. So I, I struggled with that identity of wanting to become a mother after I became disabled. And so going through that struggle of identity at so many levels and not getting the support, almost feeling that people weren't equating the possibilities of your disability and being a caregiver as something that could go together, was there a moment where you said, no, absolutely, I can be a mother and here we go? Well, I should also add that just partnering is more difficult with the kind of disability I have. It's it's more difficult to find a partner. It's it's just the truth. Like there there's so much more rejection. And I know this because I know what it was like before I was disabled and I know what it's been like after I became disabled. But anyway, what I, I did find a partner finally. <laughs> I found a wonderful partner who I married, my husband Rudy. And I think it was my you know, relationship with him, his acceptance of me that kind of allowed it helped me become more confident in myself, you know, as a woman to have this close partner who really saw me for me that helped me grow a lot. And, you know, we started talking about having children and we wanted a family just like everybody else or not, maybe not everybody else, but a lot of people, right? Want to pursue family, having a family. And I, I struggled because I thought, well, I need so much help to, for myself at day to day to get things done, to get up in the morning, to get to the bathroom, to prepare a meal. I would say things to myself like, well, if I can hardly take care of myself, how am I going to take care of a baby? But the thing is, it's not true. I don't know why I was inventing this lie because I do take care of myself. I just do it in different ways. You know, I put together the resources to make my day-to-day life possible. You know, I pool resources. I get caregivers together to take care of me. I, I figure out what I can do independently and what I need help with. And I manage wonderfully. So we decided to go see a high-risk obstetrician to just ask her questions. I went in asking her questions about if my body could handle pregnancy, if it was safe for me and all of that. And she assured me that it was. She told me that as a quadriplegic, I was not a high-risk patient, actually. But if I wanted to, you know, go through the high-risk clinic, that that was fine. And she basically gave me her blessing. She told us to go for it. And I think that's all I needed to hear. And from there, it sort of just unlocked my true desire. You know, I just really wanted to have a baby. And as you're looking forward to your pregnancy, having a baby, being a mom, 
Were there things that you had to put in place and preparation that you had to do differently because of your disability? Oh, absolutely. There was a lot of research I had to do, a lot of problem solving and and no easy answers. Because like I said, person like me doesn't exist in pop culture. I You can't find representations of me in a parenting magazine that says specifically what equipment is recommended for, you know, a wheelchair user who also has issues with their dexterity. It's just so hard to find that information. And, and more than that, other women who, you know, have the real world experience. I did actually find a thriving community on Facebook of disabled mothers. And that was my, that was everything. That's where I went to get all my information. Everything from, you know, what kind of, how can I make a crib accessible? You know, what, what equipment do I need? You know, how, how do we juggle the relationship with my husband as new parents and him also being my caregiver? Everything from the physical to the emotional to the mental. And I think that culturally where we stand, we have very disjointed families. So we've lost a lot of the knowledge in terms of child rearing and birthing and say breastfeeding and how to feed and care for our kids. And I find that many new parents find themselves in a situation where it's a steep learning curve of all this newness. And it seems that you had a very similar curve. The problem was the resources weren't there as easily accessible to find the solution, which made it so much harder. Yeah, that's exactly true. And, you know, there were so many books that were recommended on, like, pregnancy and parenting. I saw other women reading and investing in, and I just said, you know, I know I'm going to get frustrated looking at these because so much won't apply or so much won't, will be left unaddressed when it comes to, you know, my situation. So I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to go with my instincts. <laughs> and that's really been what I've done through so much when I don't have the answers. I just have to trust myself. I have to be creative and I go with my gut. I love that. So you're pregnant and things are going well. And then you're thinking about the birth process. Yeah. What were your wishes for that or plans or what things did you have to take into account? Okay. Well, I mean, I knew that it was going to be a very pretty medical pregnancy. You know, there were many factors that needed to be taken care of. I needed a multidisciplinary medical team because, you know, I didn't just need an OB. I also needed several other specialists, including if I was going to have a C-section, we knew that I would also need a urologist due to the fact that I have a previous urological surgery that needed to be worked around. I needed an anesthesiologist to sort of manage my kind of delicate situation. And you know, other specialists. So I sort of knew that. But what I, I really appreciated, actually, that my, my OB said that ideally he would want me to have as natural of a birth as possible, meaning a vaginal birth. And I was really surprised by that, especially because I was pregnant with twins. 
which by the way was a complete surprise. <laughs> Maybe we when, need to back when up. When did and you talk find about out about that? extra challenge that's just like extra curveball that came into the yeah let me tell you when I found out that it was twins I was overjoyed and horrified at the same time (laughs) because I I thought I had it all figured out okay I'm a quadriplegic but I've got this I'm going to be able to take care of a baby and here's my plan and then they told me there were two in there and all my plans flew out the window. <laughs> all my plans flew out the window. Oh, and by the way, and at that moment, it did become a high-risk pregnancy. Just being having multiples um, is considered high-risk, I found out. So um, more high-risk than being a quadriplegic, apparently. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. 
Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. How far along were you when you found out you were having twins? Maybe like 10 weeks. So 10 weeks sounds really early. Yeah, it was early. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you're having twins. Your doctor's saying that we'll still, you know, you're high risk in that situation, but we're still going to shoot for a vaginal birth. Fast forward us to how things started. How did labor start? Well... That was interesting because with my spinal cord injury and having paralysis, I have reduced sensation. I actually have some sensation. It's just not 100%. So I really wasn't sure what labor was going to feel like. And this was another one of those big questions that I just didn't have answers to. And also, as a person who lives with chronic pain, you know, I ignore pain on a daily basis. <laughs> and I knew that this could be a dangerous habit in this situation, being pregnant. It's probably not a good idea to ignore your aches and pains because you never know what that could mean. So it was very tricky. Anyway, the morning I went into labor, I, I didn't know. My water broke, but I thought it was incontinence. Because incontinence for me is, is normal because it's part of my life. So I thought I was, in, and especially during pregnancy, the incontinence was out of control. So I went into the bathroom to do my usual routine. I used the bathroom. I got in the shower. I use a lift to get into my shower. And I'm showering and I'm, start, I'm having these contractions. But I had been having Braxton Hicks contractions since I was 20 weeks pregnant. And I also have a lot of spasms due to my disability. So again, I just, you know, I didn't know. It wasn't until I got into my wheelchair and more water kept coming out, more like fluids. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> did my water break? So I called the doctor and yeah, they told me you should probably come in. Sounds like you're in labor. How far along were you then? I was 34 weeks. So earlier than expected. Well, it was difficult because I was told with twins, you know, there's a pretty high chance that they can come early. And also, there's not much research on it. But I really felt that women with my disability experienced preterm labor more often. Now, I, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a statistician or a doctor. So I can't say that that's really true. But just based off what I was seeing in my groups, it really seemed like a lot of the women were saying they went into labor early. Women with spinal cord injuries just like me. So I was like, well, this is a double whammy. I could go into labor early because I'm carrying multiples and because of my disability. And so I mean, when 25 weeks hit, I was on guard. So I made it to 34 weeks. I actually think that's pretty good with my situation. 
Well, now that you've explained it to me, absolutely. It, mm-hmm. it does sound it. <laughs> Usually when I hear 34 weeks, it sounds early to me, but no, mm-hmm. this totally makes sense. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. So then your water broke. You go in. What happens next? Yeah. So I accidentally took my time before I left for the hospital. And I can't explain to you why. I don't know why I did this. I blow dried my hair. And I don't know why I did that. I I think maybe like the pain wasn't intense enough for me to feel worried. <sighs> maybe just being naive about pregnancy. I'm not sure. But I sat there and I blow dried my hair because I didn't want to be cold when I got to the hospital. Because I'm always cold because I'm quadriplegic and the air conditioning in the hospitals is always way too high for me. So stubbornly, I sat there and blow dried my hair. We start driving to UVA. It's 45 minutes away. So I still had time to get there. Then I finally feel it where I'm like, okay, whoa. Like these contractions are getting stronger and they're going, the waves are happening. So I definitely felt the feeling that I wasn't sure if I would know what it felt like. Well, I did. I did feel it. You're like, ah, this is it. Got it. (laughs) This is it. Yeah. And my husband started speeding. And then unfortunately, a policeman started like pacing us (laughs) because he was speeding. Yeah. So we had to drive the speed limit and we finally got there and I still wasn't in horrible pain. And I I think it's just my pain tolerance. So I, you know, kind of went into labor and delivery and they didn't really make a fuss. I told them that I was in labor, but they didn't fuss. And they sent me to a room and I just kind of waited patiently. And then finally someone came in and hooked me up and checked the babies. A doctor came in the doctor performed a cervical check and he looked up from between my legs and he slowly stood up and he ran out of the room. He said, I'll be right back. He ran out of the room and all these people came running back into the room and they're like, we need to get you in the OR now. You are, you know, eight centimeters dilated or whatever it was pretty far along. And yeah, they told my husband to wait and they rolled me in there alone and I was absolutely terrified. I was terrified because actually I remember now my main obstetrician who I had really grown to trust was out of town and he really knew all the details about my disability and He was coordinating everything with the other doctors and the other specialists. And I just felt, are they going to be able to handle my case without his guidance? I was really worried because I've had so many negative experiences in the past with, you know, sloppiness in doctor's offices and just, you know, sometimes poor quality of care in regards to my disability, confusion, things like that. So I was really worried. We were able to phone my obstetrician. And he talked to them. And honestly, after he talked to them, everybody seemed to calm down a little bit because they were very, very frenzied when they got to me. And they were asking me questions that were basic. And I was like, you guys don't know this? Like, we've been talking about this for months. But anyway, once he talked to them, you know, I could I could see things settle down. That does sound terrifying. 
Danny, what made it at that point? What was the circumstance that made it so that you required a C-section? Because what I'm hearing is up to then, the plan was to have a vaginal delivery. Yeah. Yeah. The reason that they told me was because baby A, the one that was close in going in through my vaginal canal at that moment was breech. I think actually her butt was coming out first. And they were worried about her position. And they were concerned about baby B. You know, they didn't want uh, any delays to happen and endanger the second baby. So they just wanted to minimize all risks. And that's why they chose C-section. So after they talked to your doctor, that helped calm you down and calm everybody down. And what happened next? My husband was allowed into the OR and he held my hand. The anesthesiologist administered a spinal. And that was great. I I liked it. I, I liked that it took the pain and anxiety away. And I felt better during my C-section than I do on a regular day of the week. (laughs) You know, like I said, I live with chronic pain. So it was nice for me to escape that pain for once in my life, to experience this birth pain-free. And I know, I know that's interesting because I know a lot of other women feel differently. They want to feel the pain and I get that, but yeah, so I had a, a little bit of a different experience with it. Well, I, I can totally appreciate having the reprieve from this chronic constant pain and being able to then really be present for the birth of your kids. Yeah. How was the experience in the OR? You had the spinal that felt really good. Did they do gentle cesarean practices? I'm, I don't know what that means. I know that they had to be very careful with my cesarean because of my bladder reconstruction. They had to be very meticulous. They took extra time. I was watching them hovering over my abdomen, discussing with the urologists how to go about conducting the C-section. And I was really impressed. I was proud of them. And I trusted them because I saw their minds working. And the urologists were really taking the lead with directing how it needed to be done. So once they established a plan, they started working. And I think my C-section took a little bit longer. I think they had to cut in a little bit lower down on my abdomen, but they had to cut further into my muscle above um, my pelvis. How big were your kids? So the girls were four pounds each. And then did they necessitate a NICU stay? Yes. So this was the difficult part. This is the part that was very hard and traumatic for me. I didn't mention initially to you that one of my dreams was to have my babies right after they came out and have them put on my chest. That was what I wanted so badly. And I wanted to, you know, let them search for my breast and maybe even nurse them if I was lucky. And it just, it couldn't happen. I saw their faces for, 
I, I mean, I saw them lift them out of my body and that was amazing. And, but I only got to touch them for a split second. They put the babies near my face. We touched cheeks, I think, for a couple seconds and they took them away. And that was hard. That was really hard. Yeah, that sounds really hard. How long were they in the NICU for? And how welcomed were you into the NICU to help with taking care of your babies? They were in NICU for two weeks. They did very well. I was in the hospital maybe two or three nights. I was not able to see them for 24 hours, which really upset me. Um, and it wasn't because of them. Apparently it was because of me, because my vitals were not where they wanted them to be. <sighs> and this actually really upset me because I deal with erratic vitals every day. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. And, and these doctors don't understand that I, un I know how to deal with the nuance of like getting my vitals to stabilize. And I know how to do it without medication. I do it through movement and positioning. And this is something that's like specific to having my type of spinal cord injury where, where this is possible, where I can do this. So they, they didn't understand this. So I had to fight to stay out of ICU myself. They wanted to put me in ICU. And I was like, no way, no way. Because I knew that that would throw me into a panic. I was worried about COVID because it was right when the pandemic hit. It was April 2020 when they were born. I didn't want to go to an ICU. And I knew that they could make it worse. And I was having, you know, blood pressure issues. The last thing I wanted to do was get stressed out and be in an ICU. So I, I refused to go. And... They wouldn't let me go see the girls. I felt like they were punishing me for not complying, to be honest. Maybe that's mm, not true. That Maybe that wasn't really, but I just didn't see. I said, I didn't understand why I couldn't just go see them. And now I ask myself, what, what were my patient rights at that moment? Could I have just asked my husband to get me in my wheelchair? Couldn't I have just rolled down there? And I'm not sure why I didn't just do that. Well, and let's also consider that you just had a C-section and your body's gone through all these processes and, you know, that that in itself, you're recovering from a lot of things that it shouldn't, I don't think the onus should be on you on trying to make sure you're well taken care of and united with your family, right? Like it, that should be part of the institution. And it doesn't sound like they gave you good reasons why this separation was happening. Yeah, no, no not really. I, I didn't understand. That sounds really hard, and I am so very sorry. I want to say, and unfortunately, it's not as unusual as it seems, mm -hmm. especially during the time of COVID. I've heard many people's experience of having, when their kids end up in NICU, of having these separation for 24 hours or longer without proper explanation. And it's yeah. really frustrating that yeah. that happened. More than frustrating. It's it's yeah. really so sad when, especially when your dream was to have your girls on your chest immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So 
When you finally got to see them, how was that? It was surreal. When I went down to see them, I just, it was surreal. And, and I didn't, it didn't really hit me until I held each of them. So I held one for a little bit and then I held the other. And I just, yeah, I just, the love just flooded into me. And I just felt so deeply connected to these beautiful new children and I was just so happy so in awe so at peace Danny you are amazing because these were challenges upon challenges upon challenges and you have not only figured out how to navigate them but also documented it for other people while in the process what is one thing you want to make sure people know about your experience yeah. Okay. Let me tell you, because it comes right to mind. I wrote a blog entry once that was titled Disabled, Pregnant, Powerful. And that's a word. Powerful. This whole birth experience for me, as a disabled woman especially, was so powerful and empowering to be able to have my body that is always seen as malfunctioning <laughs> to have it create these babies and and to be able to give birth to them was just for me like a life-changing experience and it shifted it shifted my identity and it really helped me come home to myself and my body and and I just it was a beautiful transformation and experience and the girls are wonderful we're just in love Danny, thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us today. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was Danny Isay, who is a disability advocate, wheelchair user, and new mom to twin girls. You can find Danny on Instagram at Danny Isay, and that's spelled D A N I I Z Z I E. I hope your main takeaway from our conversation is that Danny in particular and birthing people in general are beyond powerful. I really loved hearing about the deeper appreciation she has for her body that grew and gave birth to twins. Oh, and at one point, Danny mentioned that she didn't know about gentle cesarean options. So to help with that, we've linked in the show notes an episode on family-centered cesareans with Dr. Pamela Behrens. One thing you can do for you is challenge ableism when it comes to disabled parents and parenting, first by informing yourself. Danny has a blog that describes her experiences, including notable posts challenging misperceptions like the one called, quote, she is so selfish, facing ignorance as a disabled parent, end quote, which links out to the Disabled Parenting Project at disabledparenting.com. Then the one thing that you can do for the rest of us is support the documentary Danny's Twins, which follows Danny's and her family's journey through pregnancy and early postpartum. This documentary provides crucial representation of disability and disabled persons and really is a landmark narrative, considering that Danny is one of the very few quadriplegic people who have ever given birth to twins. Go to dannystwinsfilm.com or at dannystwinsfilm on Instagram to learn more. We're also going to be linking these in the show notes. 
You can connect with Birthful on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. And to learn more about Birthful and my birth and postpartum preparation classes, go to birthful.com. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and this episode was produced by LWC Studios, Paulina Velasco, Jen Chen, and Kojin Tashiro. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. And come back for more ways to inform your intuition.